Welcome to another edition of the Work Life Hub podcast. To find out more and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.eu. Welcome to our listeners to the latest episode of the Work Life Hub podcast. We are recording this in October 2015. And our guest is Mark C. Crowley, joining me from almost the other end of the world. Hello, Mark. Hi, Akis. How are you? Thank you. I'm very well. And I have to say that um, I was very inspired by a quote that I read uh, from you. Um, and I will say that in just a minute. So Mark is a leadership consultant and speaker, and he's also the author of the book Lead from the Heart, Transformational Leadership for the 21st Century. And we're going to talk about your beliefs and your, your leadership philosophy and your book. And just the article that I read, the very last sentence is, is a quote, and it says, love your people. Just walk me through, how did you come to, to this and, and w what has shaped this leadership style and also the things that you write in your book? So that's a very, very big question, and let me try to be as concise as I possibly can while hitting the high notes, Agnes. Um, the first thing that you need to know, and I've you know, been in almost every interview I've ever been in, I tell some of the story, and I don't want to really repeat it except to say that I grew up in a very psychologically abusive um, my, let's just say that my father was determined to break my spirit as a human being, which is not a traditional way of going about raising children, obviously. And, um, and so it, my mother died when I was very young, and I was raised by somebody who just really wanted to break me down and was often very successful at doing that. And then soon after high school, he kicked me out of the house. So my biography really introduced me to... Um, how I ended up leading, which is why I'm telling you a little bit of the story. So through the course of being kicked out, my father was actually a very successful business person and very wealthy, and yet when he kicked me out of the house, it came as a very big surprise, and there was no financial support, no emotional support, psychological support. I never went back for a holiday. I never went back for a birthday, and I, was, I went through a very difficult time in my life. Mm. And... I did get through college, and while I was going to school, I was under so much pressure to just survive, moreover to you know, do well in my classes and be able to keep a job and earn a living, and, and I just remember not feeling safe, I never felt supported, I never had anyone with my back, I never had anybody really validating the work that I was doing and seeing the progress that I was making, seeing how ambitious I was. I had no one to steer me in the direction of taking the right classes, and so I ended up graduating later than I should have. And I just, when I started managing people, I started fantasizing about how much more successful could I have been in my life if I had given, been given all of those kinds of support, right? And so I just made the decision unconsciously at first that I was going to give people that work for me everything that I always wanted and believed that I needed. And what happened, the end of the story is, is that every team I ever managed thrived, performed at extraordinary levels, uh, consistently scaled mountains for me, Agnes. And so I started to realize, and it honestly wasn't until I was in my 40s, um, that 
somebody, people starting to work, people who were working for me started to point out to me that I was approaching leadership very untraditionally and very inconsistent with what everything, everyone else that they had ever worked for. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, is this a good thing? And they started to say, it's extraordinary what you do because you get the best out of people. So the organization that I was working for, I was doing, I had a national level position responsible for thousands of stockbrokers all over America, and the bank ended up failing. And so I had an opportunity to stay with the new organization or move on, and I moved on and I thought, this is going to be the great time for me to write this book. And as I started to write the book, I realized that everything that I was talking about related to the heart, that I had been affecting the hearts in people. And that's a game stopper in business because at least in America, and I know this is true everywhere, that we think about the heart as being soft and weak and somebody who would say lead from the heart obviously doesn't get business, right? But I've been in financial services for 20 years and I knew that I was very successful and I knew that I had brought the heart into leadership. And so I had this sort of struggle in reconciling how do I tell people that you can lead this way when we believe so strongly that it's the worst thing you can do. So I spent over a year going out and finding research to validate my, my cause and uh, to keep focused on the question that you asked me. What I discovered is that the heart itself really has been proven to be much more than a pump and that positive emotions is what human beings thrive on and so much so that uh, there's a professor in America who has discovered that human beings are wired, we are built to thrive on positive emotions and that no emotion lasts for very long. Positively, you can't be very angry for very long and you can't be very joyful for very long. And so we need a constant steady diet of positive emotions. And what this professor told me is that um, essentially They've discovered now, these are, this is in the positive psychology movement, that they've effectively discovered that all positive emotions translate to love. Mm -hmm. So joy is love, awe is love, recognition and appreciation, those feelings are all translating into love. So when I say love your people, I'm not saying it in a romantic way, a sexual way. I'm saying it in a, the most appropriate way for business. That if you care about people, if you value them, if you support them, if you develop them, if you make them feel safe, which is something we, we think we don't want people, we want them on edge, we want them in some sense of fear, we want them under our thumbs, we want to squeeze them. These are the thoughts that we've always had about traditional business, and it's wrong. So the more you do to care about people, I've discovered the higher the bar you can raise, the greater the expectation, and ultimately the greater performance. And I've also been able to show that when you lead this way, because there are organizations that have figured this out, that have mastered it, uh, in, not only in America, but across the globe, that their performance, their, their stock performance, their profit performance is significantly greater than what their peers do that aren't managing this way. So when I say love your people, I mean it. This is really what we need to do, and it's a very untraditional belief, but it works. Now, uh, thank you very much for sharing your your story and, and also some of these key lessons and, and milestones in your life. Now. Can I just take you back a little bit? Because I'm just wondering about, you mentioned that you were in the financial sector for so long. And that that has got to be one of the most masculine uh, sectors, right? So, Correct. So, so did, you, did you go through 
some kind of conf- conflictual time when you 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 were probably you know really swimming against the tide or against how, how did you how did you manage to survive and and not to give in to this conform not to conform into this mold i guess and 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 the norms the very very strict management and behavioral norms that exist in for example in the financial sector it's an absolutely fantastic question. And what I will tell you is, is that in financial services, like any sales organization, um, the, you're validated, your leadership is effectively validated by getting results, by getting performance. And so nobody really ever took a deep dive into what I was doing to manage people. And it wasn't really um, all that obvious, except for the people that were working for me. And mm-hmm. so uh, the the results that I got were so consistently good that I just kept getting promoted and being given greater opportunities and no one looked under the hood, Agnes. No one said, what's driving the engine here that's getting this? They just said, this guy knows how to get results. Hmm. And so, you know, I just had people that were in the right job, that had a boss that cared about them deeply, who helped them grow and become more, who appreciated and expressed it directly to them. These are the positive emotions that I was talking about. And what that translates into is that you've got human beings, every one of them thriving. And another mistake that people make in business, and particularly in sales organizations, is they they do the 80-20 rule, where they say, you know, all I need to do is get 20% of my people really nailing it, and they're going to get my results from me, and so I don't really need to pay attention to 80 80%. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, that so that means you're just going to ignore the potential in 80% of your people? It makes no sense to me. So I had everybody thriving. I had the lowest people, the people who had been performers, you know, low, low performers working for other people, contributing at much higher levels than they'd ever contributed before. And so routinely, I was able to elevate performance to levels that the company had never seen before. Mm. And uh, in many different levels, I mean, many different jobs. So people go, well, that will work in manufacturing or that won't work in, in, uh, in, in hospitals or healthcare." And it's like, no, I mean, it, it's universal because we're dealing with human beings here. Mm. So it's interesting, though, I'll say this. Um, that, you know, I think when the book came out and I called it Lead from the Heart, I think even people that worked with me, not necessarily for me, the people that worked for me got it. But mm. the people who were my peers, I think they, they were like, what happened to Mark? You know, <laughs> right? They didn't understand that this is what I've been doing all along. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Now, can I ask you um, a devil's advocate question? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I totally share your views. I believe in servant leadership. I believe that people will thrive on their passion. They will, if they love what they do and if they're being recognized, they will give you their all. Um, but is this something that anybody could learn? I'm, I'm, I'm just also wondering, you know, I guess your journey has led you to, to, to who you are and, and how you approach life and how you approach the leadership but but I'm just wondering whether whether we can find a way to really transpire this because there are people who who thrive on ego who thrive on control and this is what fuels them and and I guess every listener has had some some of these horrible bosses in their lives so 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 how can 
Have you thought that about that? How to transmit this to as many people as possible? So I have. It's another one of these really fantastic questions that uh, I have dug deep, deep into this. And so let, let me just give you an odd example, and then I'm going to pin this down. Let's say that you are a um, a donut store. You sell donuts, and mm -hmm. the owner comes in one day and he says, "We're going to start selling pizzas." And you don't know anything about selling pizza, right? Mm -hmm. But are you willing to learn? Are you open to doing pizzas? Because some people just shut down. They go, you know what? I'm a donut guy. I'm not a pizza guy. And you're not going to get the, the donut person to be good at making pizzas unless they're excited by that. Yeah. So effectively what I'm saying is the rules have changed in how we need to manage. Many people, I think, just need permission from someone, i.e. from me, you know, from somebody who's researched this and lived this and proved that it works, to say, you now have permission to go on your natural instincts, which is to care about people, to support people, and not try to squeeze and leverage as much out of them as possible and pay them as little as possible and treat them like a liability even though you call them an asset, right? Yeah. So I do believe that there are many people who can make this transition. They may need to be introduced to what the practices are, and I've written about this in my book. They need to understand what it is that you need to do. But there are also people, honestly, who will not get this, who will not make the transition. And the reason is, is that they're just not wired this way. They're either focused on themselves and not other people, which is a big part, or they're very insecure in themselves and they need, as you were describing, Agnes, to control and manipulate other people instead of allow people to you know, teach them, to develop them, and then let them you know, go about doing what they do because that's what gives people the greatest satisfaction is when they're accomplishing things on their own and they're not being micromanaged. Yeah. So there are people who will have to move aside and we need to have a new vision of who we put into management roles. So the easiest way for this to happen, I believe, is for organizations to say forevermore, every time we hire somebody into management, that person has to demonstrate, they have to have had a history of supporting and, and growing and developing other people and thriving in their success. And if they can't demonstrate that, if all you're looking at is a history of somebody who's self-focused, self don't put that person into management. Mm. That's big. So now you've got people that are going into management roles every time there's an opening who are, who are going to model exactly what it is that you need. And the people who will then be working side by side will either say, I'm going to emulate this or I'm going to go do something else or I'll go to an organization that doesn't care about this. But I really truly believe that, that there, are, there are most people will be able to do this, but the people who don't need to be moved aside. They need, we cannot have toxic leaders. We cannot have people who don't advocate on the, the well-being in that behalf of the people that they're managing. We just can't do it anymore. Mm, absolutely. And, and what I also find quite fascinating is how we have almost, we have emerged into an awareness where even just five, ten years ago, we were talking about soft skills. We were talking about people should volunteer, they should be active in their communities, even during college, because that will give them some soft skills. And now in the 21st century leadership uh, um, style or, or necessity is, is exactly these what we used to label soft skills, i.e. secondary are going to be the most important 
um, talents, the most important assets a manager can have because it will be your empathy, it will be your openness, it will be your not being non-judgmental, non-discriminatory, right? So, so somehow there is this has this been this great shift of of those um, aspects of the human person coming to a fore that almost were almost just put aside on a shelf and frowned upon, and you needed to have the really hard skills and hard competencies, and then those were just secondary. I interviewed the CEO of Gallup and uh, a guy named Jim Clifton, and he said to me, and this validates everything that I know to be true in what you just said, Agnes, he said, the softer you go, the greater the signal, <laughs> meaning the, the more you care about people, the more you support them, the, soft, the more you leverage those soft skills, the greater response you get from people. Why? Because the hearts respond, and the hearts in human beings respond. We know this, right? Yeah where the spirit in people is. And I mean that, you know, it's a, this isn't some spiritual, soft, you know, woo-woo kind of a thing. This is how human beings are wired. Yeah. And I, I also think that um, we're not there yet. I think many people hear this and they go, oh, I'm not so sure. There's still a lot of resistance to this. This is where it needs to go, but we're not there yet as a society in any country in this world. No, and, and I think that... Um... What you, you, as you said, you know, we need to really transform and, and this needs to be embedded into the DNA of the company so that they can spot the toxic leaders, they can weed out the, the control freaks and they can hire those that maybe need to be trained in the competencies, technical or related to the actual sector, but they have all these emotional intelligence, they have all these um, um, soft skills, now I'm calling them that, but you know, this, this human side. And because I guess unless it really changes in the whole organization, as, as soon as you hit a rough patch, there's very, it, it's going to be quite easy to slip back, right? In old management ways or, or already just to have resistance in, in, in perhaps older team members. So, did, did you did you find this? Did you have a look at companies that were able to fully transform and 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 rewire their DNA? Well, you know, it's it, again really really insightful. The companies that have excelled at this, to be truthful, Agnes, are ones who founded themselves based on these yeah, values. Right. And so they've, but at the same time, they because they have a long history. Um, one of them is an organization called SAS. It's a software analytics yeah. firm. It's global. And uh, they have a 40-year history of managing this way. And it's just a remarkable organization. Extremely low turnover, record, record revenue every year for 40 years. And it's made the CEO, the owner of the, and founder of the company, one of the wealthiest people in the world. And so that translates from people being supported, people loving what they're doing, people contributing at high levels, doing innovative, great work, and translating into an organization that produces a lot of wealth for the shareholders, right? Google is another organization. They actually modeled SaaS. Very few people know this and created much of the culture, and then they've taken it to even higher levels. They're very scientific in how they figured out what things matter to people, but their orientation is we care about the human being. Yes, people work really hard there, 
and they've made it so that there's conveniences there through their perks and so forth to allow people to work longer. But you know what? I've never worked a short day in my career, and people that work for me work very hard. But if you allow them to have their dry cleaning done and their haircuts done and even their health care, meeting a doctor during the day, then they go home on the weekend and they can truly recuperate and you know restore their juices and get going again. And this is how they figured it out. So work is always going to be work, and we never have to lose sight of the fact that we still have to drive business, and drive profit, and get all that done. But it's how you go about doing it. And I think these are organizations that are giving permission, again, they're showing organizations that it can be done. But to punctuate this, your point is absolutely true. It has to start at the CEO level. The CEO, he or she has to say, this is the culture we want, and this is what we need to defend. And by defending, it means you need to weed out fantastic language you just used. Weed out the non-collaborators. Weed out the people who aren't advocates for other people and can't thrive in the success of other people. And reward and acknowledge the people who are doing it the way we want to. And reinforce it routinely and keep it visible in the organization so that everybody knows that this is what's most important. And you can change an organization very quickly. I've been through this in different levels. So I, I have great belief that this can be done. It, you just have to have the heart and you have to have the courage and you have to have the conviction that this is what you want to do and then you have the, the discipline to be vigilant in making sure that it gets done yes I, I think that you using the word courage is is very very important because it's it's also the courage to let go to let go of you thinking you know everything the courage to let go of the control the courage to give over a lot of the the power and empower your your people and 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 I think that that is something I see is 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 a bit lacking and and I don't know if this is killed off in business school <laughs> but what we we had this discussion already on the work life hub podcast that you have the um found, found the just recently founded or the or the startups or the let's say the m more mature startups that have been founded on these principles then you may have organizations that are going through some major crises and that's when they wake up and all of a sudden transform and in this transformation process they hopefully meet a consultant like yourself or meet a philosophy or a mentor that is going to rewire the the company for these these new leadership styles but then unfortunately there's all these stuck in the middle right that are performing okay i mean the numbers are coming in okay yes we have high turnover yes we have absenteeism but hey you know that's just business as usual and and yeah. i i'm just i'm just fascinated by trying to figure out how do we get to that big majority in the middle there so um, you just said so many brilliant things in there, truly. Um, I'm really impressed with your understanding of this. Uh, but I, I want to tell you a quick story. I, I can't tell you the name of the organization. You, anyone listening to this would know the company immediately. They were one of the major organizations in the, in the financial meltdown mm -hmm. 70 years ago. And um, this is a company that if you were working there when, you, when, the, when the company went down and needed a financial bailout from the federal, American federal government, um, if you told people you work for this company, you would have been yelled at and screamed at and blamed for you know, bringing the world down. And, and what happened is I'm going to speak there. 
And I'm astonished. I'm going to be speaking to this organization in two weeks. Mm. And I'm thinking, why in the world, right? How could they possibly be interested in what I have to say? But when you think about this, and I think this is probably going to be true within Volkswagen, too, as an organization that's been brought to its knees by the decision of very few people. Yeah. So if you have tens of thousands of workers who just had their IRAs, their 401k, their retirement savings wiped out, They've seen thousands of layoffs as a result of the bad decisions. They've seen the bad press. They feel, you know, disgraced by how people think about their company. Now people are like, going forward, is this what we want? Do we just want to be led by our minds? Do we want to be making decisions that are going to benefit other people and not be a hot potato, which is the decisions that they were making? They didn't care about who ended up with the products that they were creating because they were off their balance sheet. They're looking at this very different. So the ones who take the biggest hit, I'm finding, are the ones who are going to respond to this quicker. But the interesting thing is, is that when you ask what's going to happen to these companies in the middle, I mean, I'm frustrated beyond belief with the whole attitude of, well, you know, our turn over isn't that bad and our profit isn't that bad and we're still pretty competitive. This is why my message is going to take time in some organizations to hit. But what's going to happen, I truly believe, is that there's going to be a tipping point where more companies see the truth in this, they're going to adopt it, and they're going to kick these companies in the ass and the companies are going to have to respond if they're going to want to compete with the people. That's what I think is going to happen. That's what will force this middle group into adopting new practices is that they simply won't be able to compete for people. They won't be able to compete for sales. They won't be able to compete on any level with companies that get this. Yeah. And I, and I think that the, the much talked about millennials are going to be quite helpful in this because they will be truly global nomads, a global talented workforce. They will just leave. You know, if they, someone said um, uh, that for, for the younger generations, you know, work is not a place uh, where you go to. That's your activity. And perhaps even beyond, it's almost like a consumer activity for them. So if they're not feeling well, if they're having a hard time, they just get up and go. So I think perhaps we have there a bit of an army of supporters who are going to help us change these mentalities. Well, you know, it's interesting. My son came home from college, graduating from uh, University of California, Berkeley, one of the top schools in America. And uh, I paid for him to go to school and he came home debt free. And we were talking about, so he's a millennial. And I said, you know, what are you thinking about doing? And he said, well, I'll tell you what, all I know is I don't want to have your career. <laughs> and, and I was like, what does that mean? And it hurt me at first, but as I began to understand it, it gave me my first real insight into the millennial thinking, which was that I worked in corporate environments. I was routinely you know, um, manipulated and taken advantage of by companies and bosses. And you know, if you don't do well, we're going to find somebody else, all those kinds of manipulations. And he just looked at that and said, you know, I don't want to have that kind of stress in my life. Why would I want that? Yeah. And it's, I think that, that that's why the millennials have responded is that they, they grew up with parents that worked two jobs that were, you know, both were working and so they're, they're responding to the stress that their parents were always under and the, their inability to spend a lot of time with them. They were latchkey kids. All of this has driven the millennials into looking at work very differently. But the truth is, 
A lot of leaders look at the millennials and they go, well, that's a different generation. They'll never stick around. They're not going to stick around for bad leadership. Yeah. But if you give them the right leadership, if you lead from the heart and lead the way that I'm describing, why wouldn't people want to commit themselves? This is the, this is the biggest mistake the companies are making in thinking that it's a generational problem. It's not. They're just responding to horrible leadership that's gone on for the last 20 years that they don't want any part of. I'm so enjoying it. <laughs> I'm so enjoying this podcast because you really out you 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 just really say these things that um I still think that that are still a bit hush hush or taboo, you know, a little bit like you're not supposed to say that but but it's true and and there are all these companies out there and all these bosses out there and I think that they deserve to be called out and 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 they deserve to have that mirror held to them and and the big surprise on oh actually you know, I better change or leave. Now, before we go to the last question, because time is just running way too quickly, um, would you mind um, reminding listeners uh, where what the title of the book and your website and where they can reach out to you? Okay, thank you. The, uh, the, the, the name of the book, Agnes, is Lead from the Heart, Transformational Leadership, for the 21st century and uh, easiest and cheapest by far place to buy it of course is on Amazon anywhere in the world and uh, probably the easiest way to reach me I'm on all social media but if you go to leadfromtheheart.com uh, that will bring you to my website all of my articles I've written over 20 articles for Fast Company magazine just named the number one magazine in America all related to this theme. I've been in many organizations, met with CEOs, all the top research organizations, and there's tremendous evidence to further validate this. And I think, again, so it's leadfromtheheart.com. I think, you know, one, one final point that I really want to make here is that, um, you know, it, a lot of people just dismiss this. They go, oh, heart, he doesn't get business. Heart, that's soft. Oh, that's weak. He clearly doesn't understand how to manage people or get results. And I'm, I'm a man, and I spent 20, almost 25 years managing people in financial services, which is a dog-eat-dog-eat world, and I was the best at it. I was named leader of the year a few years ago. And so there's no way you can knock me down by saying what's instinctive to a lot of people, which is this will never work. Mm -hmm. It does work. We just need to accept that it's time for an entirely new paradigm because the old one's not working. Absolutely. And I have to say that as um, a feminist, uh, but also someone really believing in equality and equal opportunities, I think it's amazing that there are men like you who say this, because it's usually the Sheryl Sandbergs, you know, and then it's dismissed as, oh, this is just a women's issue or it's just a, it's just a mommy issue, you know. And, and I think it's remarkable that, that you come out so strong with these very strong messages. So I, I really appreciate it and, and thank you very much. I appreciate it very much, Agnes. I mean, having told you my personal, little bit of my personal story, the whole sequence of events, as I look back on it, I, I realized this, I was put here to do this work. I really do believe this is 
my life's purpose was to have that upbringing, to have that rough childhood, to manage people in a very tough environment, and to experiment, to refine, and to truly understand it, and then to spend the last five years of my life digging into this and researching this in the deepest possible and broadest possible way to prove to people that this is the, this is the truth. So I have really strong convictions now that, uh, you know, that my whole life story has built for me. Mm. Now, um, now we come to the last question and we always ask the same last question here on the Work Life Hub podcast. So, Mark, if I would ask you, what would be your one or first advice to a CEO for her or him to change leadership and to really lead from the heart? What would that advice be? I think it's what we talked about. I think it's making the decision going forward that you will not put anybody into a manager role on any level of the organization who can't demonstrate to you that they have historically cared about and thrived in the success and well-being of other people. And a great way to solicit that in interviewing. So first of all, it's a binary question. If they can't say if you can't convince yourself that that person cares about other people as much as they care about themselves I wouldn't hire them because mm. you can change people leave and you have an opportunity every time to upgrade so make that decision that would be my first piece of advice really truly the the, the best piece of advice um, but I also think that there is um, an opportunity to uh, to really fully recognize people is a major, major gap in business and authentically setting up ways of making sure that anyone and everyone who meets and exceeds your expectations is shown, demonstrated in a very real meaningful way that they are appreciated, that they, their work matters. This is what fuels the hearts in people. This is what fuels the spirits in people. And the worst thing you can do is to let people excel for you. And, you know, I, I use the, the generic expression of, you know, they'll kill themselves for you by, you know, working late hours and coming in early and committing themselves on the weekends to doing really great work and really rising to the occasion, which is what every boss wants. And if you're missing the opportunity to make sure that people never have any doubt how much that work is appreciated, that's managerial malpractice. It's one of the most, if not the most destructive things you can do to human beings. This is awesome. I, I think that this should be just framed, <laughs> what you just said here. So I, I encourage everybody to go and buy your book. And, and it was really, truly a great pleasure talking to you, Mark. And thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Agnes. This was my first uh, chat in Brussels. So thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>